Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for another mailbag where I answer your opinions, observations, inquiries, and ultimately your comments about tennis or anything else. It is week one of the season, or yeah, I would say it's week one because it is Wednesday. The season officially began last Wednesday, which was technically still 2022, which is ultimately very confusing because in tennis, we speak in years. So I don't know, like, uh, did Nadal lose to Cameron Norrie in 2022 or 2023? I would say... 2023, just to keep things very simple, but I think that is technically incorrect. Uh, so now that we've began on that tangent, I will continue. 24 hours ago, uh, I posted on the YouTube community tab uh, a lot of really good comments about a lot of the top players coming into next year. So very excited to get into it. Without further ado, let's do it. Uh, priority in the mailbag goes to members. If you uh, want to become a member and contribute $2 a month to support the channel, uh, you'll notice that our uh, my YouTube shorts are up and running um, and uh, TikTok and is, is on the horizon. Um, if you'd like to support the channel, you can become a member by hitting the join button if you watch on a PC. All right, let's start with Sam Collins, who is a member. Thank you. Hey, Gil, can you make a quick anti-Hulk with the weakest attributes of top 15 players? And then maybe for fun, could you say what you think the ATP ranking of such a player would be? Thanks and Happy New Year. Thank you. And Happy New Year to you. Uh, I'm going to pull up the rankings, and we are going to do this on the fly. So, worst serve in the top 15 Taking a quick look at it, maybe Carreño Busta, Alcaraz, Sinner, maybe, I think PCB. I think Carreño Busta, we're actually in a very good era. Like when Schwartzman was in the top 15, this would have been a lot easier. Uh, this is a good era of serving. Nori is maybe there. I'm going to go with PCB. So Carreño Busta's serve. Okay, worst forehand. Uh, there's actually some good options. Uh, you could go... I'm probably going to go with Hercotch here. I'm going to scan it, scan it. I'm going to go with Hercotch. Hercotch has the worst forehand in the top 15. Uh, worst backhand. Felix is a candidate. Rude is a candidate. 
Uh, yeah, uh, it's between those two. I would take... I think I would take Rude's backhand. Oh, wait. Tsitsipas is a candidate. Mm. That's that's interesting. Tsitsipas is an interesting choice here because like the, the regulation backhand isn't all that bad, but then when you put it in some tougher positions and you force him to defend on it... Um, Ooh, that is so tough. Uh, I, I'm i going to go with Felix at this time with the worst backhand. No, I'm going to go with Tsitsipas. All right, we have Hercotch's forehand, Tsitsipas's backhand, Carreño Busta's serve, movement. Who's got the worst movement? Fritz is a candidate. Uh, Fritz is looking like the front runner here. Scanning. Yeah, Fritz. Fritz, so we have Fritz's movement. Obviously, when I do the Hulk, it's a little bit more, uh, you know, detailed than this. Okay, mental game, worst mental game, top 15. There are some pretty good candidates. I got to go with, I got to go with Zverev. Like, whose kind of nerve management and confidence has held them back? more than anybody else in the top 15. That's got to be Zverev. And there you have it. There's your Hulk. There's your anti-Hulk top 15. So where would a player, now the next part of this question, where would a player be ranked with Karenia Busta's serve, Hercotch's forehand, Tsitsipas's backhand, Fritz's movement, and Zverev's mental game? I don't think that player would be a top 100 player. Like, I don't, if you take all of the weakest attributes of the top 15 and put them into one player, you don't get a good player. You do not get a good player. Well, that's a fun one to start us off. Here we go. Next one is from Thonkos, who's also a member. Thank you. The draw is going to be really interesting come the Australian Open. This is mostly due to a few things. Djokovic being seated fifth. This implies he could play a really elite guy as early as the quarterfinals, Medvedev, Nadal, Alcaraz, or Tsitsipas, just his seating alone will shake up the entire draw because we also have guys like Team, Vavrinka, Goffin, uh, Korda, who won't be seated and are all in better form than their ranking suggests. I'd hate to be the seed who draws them early. Zverev being seated 12th makes this interesting. I wouldn't want him in the third or fourth round. If I was someone like Alcaraz or Rude, for instance, no matter his ATP Cup showing, you mean United Cup, I also think Berrettini and Sinner will play above their rankings. But of course, there's one final component that ties it all together, Nick Kyrgios. Seated 22 or 23, he could easily draw Djokovic in round three, Medvedev again, Alcaraz, you name it. I'd like to hear your thoughts on how important the draw will be for this tournament and if there's any specifics we should watch out for. Well... I think you hit on a lot of the big ones. Djokovic being seated fifth is significant because it it basically guarantees us a blockbuster quarterfinal. I also think that, you know, Medvedev being the number seven seed, I think in reality he's a top four. Um, I think so. I think Djokovic and Medvedev in that five through eight seeding group could create a quarterfinal that is more reminiscent of a semifinal or a final. Although we, you know, the other kind of situation can happen if we have like a Djokovic-Rude quarterfinal. Well, that wouldn't be that weird, right? Because 
it would feel like a typical quarterfinal. It's just reverse the seeding. You know, Rude would feel like a five through eight. Djokovic is kind of a one through four, and it wouldn't be all that strange. But if we had like an Alcaraz Djokovic quarterfinal, now that feels a little bit funky. That feels like a match that shouldn't be be happening in the quarters. Um, Kyrgios is the biggest deal outside of Medvedev and Djokovic in the five through eight range, in my opinion. Nick has taken out a top four seed in back-to-back majors now. Tsitsipas at Wimbledon and Medvedev at the U.S. Open. He will not be playing any Australian Open lead-ups because of, uh, it's escaping me, it's either an ankle injury or a calf injury. I can't quite remember which one. Uh, But that may not bode well. I don't see Nick as a guy who does a very good job kind of dealing with physical issues in general. They tend to really weigh him down as opposed to, you know, some players I think for a major might be more well-equipped to fight through certain physical ailments as compared to Nick. But if Nick's going to be 100%, that's a massive deal. That's a massive deal. That's by far the biggest kind of draw randomness that I would have my eye on. Uh, the group of players team, Vavrinka Gafan, Korda, nothing new here. You know, you're always going to have players like that who are dangerous and talented that are going to be outside of seeding. Of that group, none of them strike me as players who are really kind of egregiously unseeded, if we're being completely honest. I do think Stan has looked really good early on. Um, but yeah, none of, none of those are egregious to me. And then finally, Zverev at 12. Yeah, you don't want that. You don't want that. At the same time, man, is is, is he ready to make a semifinal or something like that or a quarterfinal? It certainly doesn't look like that. Certainly doesn't look like that. Next one is from Jermaine. Will Nole be banned from the U.S. again? This is disappointing. I made a YouTube short on it, but just an update in case you are unaware. It appears, actually it doesn't appear. This has been confirmed and I actually waited a whole 24 hours just to make sure it was true. Uh, The Department of Homeland Security and the the TSA has issued an amendment to the travel guidelines. um, And that amendment has been an extension of the previous policy that requires foreign travelers to be vaccinated upon entry into the United States. The date that it has been extended to is April 10th. The previous the previous policy expired January 8th. So theoretically, that was the day that that could have, in theory, ended. Ja- uh, April 10th being the new date, of course, goes past Indian Wells, goes past Miami. So it very, 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 very much appears that Novak Djokovic uh, will not be able to play the Sunshine Double, uh, which, of course, is frustrating. Um, there's not that much I can say about this because I literally uh, I don't know what's going on, what the reasoning is. There has been very little information out there. There's no information to work with, so there's very little I can say. Uh, The only thing that I have been been quick to kind of remind folks in general is that the reasoning is surely not Novak Djokovic. 
the biggest impact, I will say this, the biggest impact that this policy has is on the tourism industry in the United States. Now, it is not, I don't know how big that impact is. Uh, the statistics, which I did check before coming on here because I, I wasn't sure. Uh, according to Oxford University research, 66% of the population is fully vaccinated. If you take the segment of the population, the slice of the population that engages in tourism, that number 66% would probably be even higher because generally speaking, the populations that are less likely to be vaccinated are less financially well off. And obviously, Populations that are less financially well off are also less likely to travel to the United States as a tourist. So I don't know how big an impact this kind of policy has on the tourism industry in the United States, but certainly it has some impact. And that by far would be the biggest consideration that would have to be made when it comes to the Departments of Homeland Security decision here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I am mystified and, and kind of puzzled by it because uh, it does seem that the entire world has moved on from a policy like this. And uh, obviously, domestically, none of the policies on COVID have really reflected this kind of stringency when it comes to vaccination. So it is confusing. I don't know. Uh, and I unfortunately, there's not enough information to parse it any further than that. Next one is from Gene, who's also a member. Thank you. What suggestions slash tweaks would you make for the United Cup if it is going to be on the calendar next year? And I think it is safe to assume it will be on the calendar next year. I might make a separate video on this. I'm not sure. But there are too many teams in the United Cup. So what I am going to do, the exercise I'm going to do right now is I'm going to open Flash Score Tennis, which I oftentimes use... I'm a big fan of flash score tennis, and we are going to go to Saturday, a random day of the group stage, and we are going to read uh, matches that were played at the United Cup, and let's see how many of them are ATP quality matches, okay? George Sarundalo, yes. Montero Rude, yes. Ot oh, wait, no. Uh, Oscar Atta versus Sverchina, uh, Czech Republic. Tomas Mahach got injured and Sverchina came in, even if Mahach was in there. Uh, that one, I will say no. Uh, Zizou Bergs versus Dimitar Kuzmanov, no. Uh, Herkoc Bublik, yes. Um, then on the women's side, uh, Sigmund Kvitova, yes. Uh, Pagosi Ikari, no. Uh, Mertens Topolova, no, because of Topolova. Harriet Dart Bedosa, I'll say yes. So we have a lot of ATP quality, I should say, tour quality matches. And then we have a lot of matches that are not tour quality matches. And uh, I just don't need, I'm sorry, I do not need a lot of these teams in this competition. They have zero chance of winning. Zero. And the format is bloated as a result of them being in the competition. Now, you could make an adjustment to the way ties are played. You could make it one singles one men's singles, one women's singles, one mixed doubles. And then you wouldn't have some of the players that we see at the ATP Cup or the United Cup now pop up at the beginning of every year. Again, no disrespect to these guys, but Mikhail Pervolarakis of Greece and uh, uh, the uh, Dorosevich, Victor Dorosevich, you know, these players, again, no disrespect. They are uh, 
They are playing because of Kasparud. They are playing because of Stefano Tsitsipas. And uh, these matches are not... This is not a quality product here. Um, based on kind of what is being sold here, which is an event at the highest level of the tour that is worth a maximum of 500 rankings points. It, it is not... A lot of these matches are not worthy of that. And you're playing a team event at a neutral site. So these kinds of matches are not filling these large arenas in Australia either. So there's one of two options. You either change... There's three options. You either change the method in which teams qualify and... A team like Denmark, uh, sorry, what am I saying? A team like Norway uh, would not qualify because they don't have enough depth. They don't have a strong enough top women singles player. They don't have a strong enough number two men singles player. Um, or you could make it so that the ties are only three matches. That would help. Uh, then a team like Greece would not have Pervalorakis and Despina Papa Mikhail playing matches. It would just be Tsitsipas and Sakari. Boom. Uh, Greece is actually doing quite well because Tsitsipas and Sakari continue to win. They are in the semifinals. Uh, or you could reduce the number of teams. Literally just reduce the number of teams. Um, and make it a, an, an eight-team competition or a 12-team competition. That would be fine. I'm sorry. like, And, and I know they want the stars. I know they want a team like Tunisia with Anjabur playing. I, I, I get that. Uh, I know they want... Uh, Kasparud in the tournament. But guess what? Um, who is that that great player from the Ivory Coast? Uh, Pogba? No, not Paul Pogba. Didier Drogba. Drogba. Did he ever play in a World Cup? Let's see. Drogba World Cup. Did he ever play in one? Ah, yes. They did make it in 2006. Uh, anyway, I am not very good at this because I'm not a huge soccer fan. But... Uh, there are many great players, right, who, amazing soccer players, their teams never qualify for the World Cup because their countries aren't up to snuff, and it is what it is, right? Does the World Cup die? No. It's fine. So it is not the end of the world if some of these teams aren't in the competition. And I, I feel that would make the United Cup better if you just cut the fat. There's too much bloatedness in the format. The, the product is not consistent. That is my biggest complaint. I will make an. I, I do want to make another video about this because I I need to talk more about the United Cup. Next one from Sarah Gates Fiontech. What did she do to transition from good to great so quickly, and what should her next focus be from a skill standpoint? Um. The biggest thing technically is she went from a player who wanted to play a more defensive style court position wise she played further back in the court she played a spinnier ball with less pace and she was much less proactive and she has these massive you know weapons right like especially and particularly her forehand but i love her backhand as well these are good offensive weapons and she simply wasn't using them uh, as a young player in her career, because that wasn't the vision that she had in her head of what kind of player she was trying to be. And she became a better player when she started taking more time away and flattening out and actually looking to just do more damage in rallies. And she became, when she did that, she became the most overwhelming baseliner 
in women's tennis. I also think she just got over some some insecurities and some confidence fragility that that plagued her, especially after the Roland Garros success uh, that I don't think, I think she would probably admit this, uh, probably wasn't prepared for that mentally. It would be hard for anybody to be prepared for that. But, you know, everything she's done from a, a mental standpoint with Dario Bramovitz, her psychologist, a physical standpoint with dieting and fitness, she just leaves no stone unturned. So the reason why she is now the number one in the world, uh, that reason is nothing singular. It is very plural because she has nailed almost every aspect of what is required to be a top player. From the man, <laughs> that's the name, the man. I think Medvedev is poised for a good year. I think at the end of 2021, he was legitimately the best player in the world, beating Novak fair and square in the finals of a Grand Slam, which no one recently but Nadal has done, and immediately got to the finals of the Australian Open. I think the issues related to Russia-Ukraine paired with the injuries led to a lackluster year mentally and with his conditioning. I doubt he cared too much. Medvedev, at his best, has some of the... Uh, the best stroke production is one of the best competitors and one of the smartest players on tour. I take he wins a slam. Would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, that is something that I, one thing that I want to throw in there that I think I did forget in making the top 10 videos is the fact that he wasn't evil, even able to play Wimbledon probably had an effect on his motivation throughout those summer months. And it, yeah, that that is something that you can tag on to the fact that uh, there might have been some some mental burden from you know being being Russian. Again, I always like to qualify pales in comparison to the mental bur burden of being Ukrainian at this time. Um, and also um, the injuries and the scarring loss to Nadal and becoming number one. Now. So I, I agree with most of your points here. That is why I have him finishing number four in the world next year, as opposed to where he is right now, which is number seven in the world. I subscribe to the idea that he is going to bounce back and that is he and that is he is going to improve. However, I don't see him looking like the best player in the world again, which I, I kind of agree he did in 2021. I fully agree, actually. He did in 2021 towards the end on a hard court not on any other surface. Uh, because I do think there are some things that won't get better. I think that, first of all, the, the field has gotten better. Alcaraz did not exist in his current form in 2021. And there are going to be emergent rivals that I feel will be more complete than Medvedev. Give Runa some time. He is more complete than Daniil Medvedev, for example. Uh, but then there are players who are just playing him better. Tsitsipas just started playing him smarter. Um, Kyrgios can take advantage and play him really smart. And the things that were working for him are just not working as well against players who have the ability to execute certain things. So my stance on Medvedev is unchanged. I, I'm in the middle here. I do think it's going to be better than 2021. Sorry, I do think it's going to be better than 2022. I don't think it's going to be as good as 2021. From HM, 
Why has Rafa lost his past couple matches in a three-set battle? Does he no longer have the clutchness? So, um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide what I want to get into and what I don't. But with Rafa, the clutchness is a concern at this time because he doesn't have the wins under his belt. So, if you're asking, does he no longer have the clutchness? If you're asking that at in the short term, the answer is. Potentially, yes, that could be the case right now. That Nadal just hasn't won enough matches, played enough matches to build that level of confidence where he feels comfortable executing in his game and confident in his execution as a whole to come through in tight situations right now. If you're asking that in the long term, we know that's really not how something is going to go with, with Nadal. In all likelihood. Amy Lundy uh, wrote a really good piece on... Wow, I'm, I'm the worst, but I'm forgetting. Tennis... What, what's it called? I totally forgot. Amy Lundy wrote a really good piece. Um, last word on sports? I, I, feel, I feel like I need to pull this up. Uh, about Nadal's serve. Both of those matches, the serve was really bad. So that is a part of it. Another part of it, and this is an important point that I definitely want to make, uh, Nadal, Nadal's opponents played extremely well in both cases, Dimonor and Nori. And if you saw Rafa last year in his Australian Open lead-up, I have no doubt that if he had played Nori or Dimonor in that form, in the form he was in last year, he would have lost. No doubt. As somebody who called those matches, watched those matches, all of them, um, when, when Rafa played the Melbourne 250, uh, I have no doubt that if he played Nori or Dimonor that week, he would have lost. That was a title. And remember, I was very concerned about Rafa or somewhat concerned. I don't know. Very is too strong a word. I was somewhat concerned about Rafa and didn't think he could win the Australian Open title coming in to the fortnight. Coming into those two weeks, even though he was coming off of a title, I didn't feel his level was there. I did not feel his form was there. But he didn't really play anybody. He played Emil Roussevori. He played Maxime Cressy. Uh, he played uh, Ricardus Barankis. The, these guys are not Cam Nori level. And these guys are not Demon or especially Demon just goes up four notches whenever he plays for Australia. Every single time. That's what happens. All of the best wins in Demon Orr's career are in Davis Cup and ATP Cup. Seriously. Um, Amy wrote the piece for, for uh, Tennis Connected. Tennis Connected. There you go. Uh, so yeah, poor serving. Clutchness is an issue with the confidence. But in general, the level isn't that bad. And that's exactly what Rafa said afterwards. And by the way, I have heard Nadal say when he plays terrible, I have heard him say, I played terrible. My level needs to get much better. And that's it. I just need to play better. That was not his tune coming out of these matches. He knows he's playing all right. Yes, could be better. But he knows he's playing all right. And, you know, there's no need to really panic because he is playing at a decent level considering the fact that there's plenty of time for him to improve that level uh, before the Australian Open. That's the position 
that I believe Nadal is in. From Max, Gil, lots of people aren't predicting Rude to finish higher than seven. In fact, some have him missing the top 10 overall. Just a couple of questions. One, why do you think this is the case? In my opinion, the main reasons seem to be the lack of wins against top guys and the huge number of points he'll defend at four finals. Okay, let me answer that first. Uh, yes, I think that is very much the reason. You know, he was he was not competitive against Nadal in the Roland Garros final. He was not all that competitive against Alcaraz in the U.S. Open final. He was not that competitive against Alcaraz in the Miami final. He was not that competitive against Djokovic at the ATP final. So these are high-profile matches that people have their eyes on, and he is not pushing these guys. And as a result, uh, that is certainly going to be what people are holding against Kasparud at this time. The one point that I would like to make on this is that he's also kind of new onto the scene. And I don't think that the effect of that should be understated in any way. Um, you know, Tsitsipas has been around. Medvedev has been around. Zverev has been around. There is a confidence uh, among the any tennis fan, tennis onlooker, tennis analyst, there's a confidence. We know exactly who they are and what they are at this point. And not to say that they can't prove us wrong in certain ways, reach new heights. That's not really what I'm getting at, but there is a comfort level with who they are. And for Rude, he is really, he is new. He has not been around as a top player very long. So it's going to take some time for us to continue to learn about Casper and what kind of player he is going to be throughout his career. Number two, who are you more confident on having a better year, Tsitsipas or Rude? Who do you see getting closer to the Tier 1 guys? Uh, this is a matchup I'd like to see because I think both guys have something to prove. Rude showing he is a legitimate contender. Tsitsipas showing that he's still one of the leaders of the chasing pack. Well, look, if I had a strong opinion on this question then there would be a larger gap between them in my top 10 prediction. The fact that Tsitsipas is number 6 and Rude is number 5 really tells you all you need to know, which is that I I see them as very, very close, and I have no confident, confident answer to this question. Um, I would say Tsitsipas has a higher ceiling. Rude has a higher floor. Next one is from Ron Robbie. Hi, Gil. Can't wait for another great season filled with your excellent content. Appreciate that. My question is about Zverev. After seeing his two horrible performances at the United Cup, is it too early to wave the red flag? The second serve looked awful. His movement seems off and the forehand is very inconsistent. Same question, though, from the other end about Tsitsipas. He looked very good early on, winning one exhibition tournament, I think in Abu Dhabi, and is 2-0 as of now in United Cup. His backhand is looking much better, and overall, he is continuing his great form from the last couple months. Is this finally the year where he'll put everything together and have a great season all year long? First, I just want to say I do not give any fiber of care to what happens in exhibitions. I think they matter. Look, if there is like an injured player like Zverev or something, I I watch it with maybe 10% 
of like, how does he look? Is something seriously awry? Is is something wrong? Uh, but other than that, it, it's they're just playing practice sets. They really are. They're just playing practice sets, so it does not matter. Um, anyway, other than that, Zverev. Is it too early to wave the red flag? No. Yes and no. Yes, it's too early to wave the red flag. The expectation is that this could take a long time for him to uh, just slowly get back into form. So, you know, he should really probably get the first six months of the season to struggle before we start asking questions about the the long-term prospects of Alexander Zverev. Like, literally, he should get six months of, of padding, if not more. Um, but the fact that the second serve has looked how it, how it does, that's the only comment I, I will make it on Zverev at this time. That's the only thing that I don't think it's too early to make an assessment of that aspect of his game because every single time Zverev goes through an off-season or in this case goes through an extended layoff, seven months off tour, every time there's a big pause, his first couple matches back, I do watch it with a bit of interest and I, I kind of wonder... Are we going to see an adjustment on the second serve? Is this going to look any different? I do wonder that, genuinely. And I'm going to stop wondering that. I'm just going to stop. Because every single time the answer is no. That shot has not changed one bit in the last six years. It has remained the same. And I have my opinions on that. I do not think highly of that. I understand that there might be some complications. This is his best excuse. The first serve is so good that maybe you don't want to, you know, you're afraid to 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 mess with the serve in a big way because you want to preserve uh, what you have going with the first delivery. Sure. Uh, but in general, that's the one thing I can say is every single time this happens, there is no change in the serve. And... It kind of reminds me, I saw Sarah Cerebes Tormo, a training video of Sarah Cerebes Tormo, uh, who has, I think like a, she's in a walking boot, broken foot, broken ankle, something really bad. Like she literally can't put weight on one leg. But what she's doing is putting one foot on a chair and literally with one leg on the, on the court surface, which happens to be her left leg, thankfully, because I don't think you could practice your serve without putting your left leg on the court. Um, and she's hitting serves. She's hitting serves. And guess what? The upper body looks so much more fluid than it did in the past. It looks so much better. Sarah Cerebus Tormo's serve is horrendous. It's a mess. It's easily the worst in the top 50. Her and Daria Kasakina, the worst serves in the top 50, easily. And uh, one of the big problems is like the rhythm between her toss hand and her racket arm were, were terrible. Uh, where like, you know, they were, they would just go up at exactly the same time and it was just stilted. Um, and it just looked so much more fluent, uh, in this training video. So you can work on yourself. You can take advantage of these long-term layoffs and work on certain things. And Zverev hasn't done that. So I, I do want to say that in terms of Tsitsipas, again, it's a, it's a situation where, you know, I've seen him play a couple matches, but I don't want to make massive 
uh, proclamations about where he's at. In general, though, I've seen a lot of positive things, especially on the back end, which I know that this comment uh, points out. Just the way he's playing it, to me, got smarter. He, uh, um, from what I've seen, and this could change, from what I've seen, and against Chorich, he certainly did this, he has backed up on the second serve return. Thank the heavens. Thank the heavens. One of the dumbest things I continued to see him do was stand up on the baseline and try to take the second serve return early, where players can just rush his backhand side on second serves. And it's a terrible return that he constantly mishits, out of position to defend, uh, misses it all the time. Horrendous return. Just move back and give yourself time. It was the biggest no-brainer. No-brainer. And uh, that's what uh, I saw from Tsitsipas a lot in these first couple matches. Um, and then with his with his backhand, um, not slicing unless he's rushed, unless he has to. I don't like it when he slices for no reason. The slice just isn't a good enough shot for him to do that. So I've enjoyed that. And I just think it's been kind of the solid ground stroke that he needs it to be. Where, it, again, he doesn't need it to win him points, but he does need it to not lose him points. And I do think it's been that for him. So yeah, the backhand has has looked good because he's been smarter with how he's uh, implemented it. From Tehran, hi Gil, love your content. What did you make of Zverev's performances against Fritz and Lehechka? I kind of answered this, so I'm going to go to the next one. From Footfault Tennis, uh, what do you think Andy Murray has left in his career? I believe this will be a decider year for him. If he doesn't win a title or have a good run at a slam, surely we'll see him, we'll see a retirement at Wimbledon next year. We've finally seen him play uninjured for a long period of time, with that being an issue for a while. And he's had moments with his peak level still being top 20, I reckon. But the consistency to do that every week is no longer there. I would assume he has two clear goals for his first half of this year. One, win a title. Two, be top 30 for Wimbledon. This is a pretty good assessment. Um, in, a, in some ways, I like that you said that he was uninjured. In some ways, we saw a milestone 2022 for Andy Murray. Milestone. He played the calendar. He didn't get hurt. That's huge. It's enormous. But I do think he was disappointed that his staying healthy did not correlate or translate into him kind of finding his stride as a contender on a week-to-week basis. And he is genuinely frustrated with that. Genuinely. And if he doesn't make strides quickly or soon... I agree with you. He will retire. And he he has said before the season, one more big injury and he will retire. He is not going to rehab from another major injury. It's just not going to be worth it uh, for him. So I agree. I think the clock is ticking on Andy Murray, meaning if he does not, if he does not make serious leaps in his level, I do believe he will wave the white flag here and say, okay, it was good. I gave it my all my 100%, but it is not worth it to me playing at this level. Right now, he still believes that he can be a top 10 player. I'm sure he does. Positive he does. As soon as he doesn't believe that that could be in his cards in the future, he no longer has anything to play for, and I, I believe he will go away. 
he will retire. Um, okay, I, I think I've said what I wanted to say on that. Let's get through some quick ones here. Game, set, and match. Has Berrettini changed his backhand technique and how it looks improved when he played Rude? I uh, I watched both of Berrettini's match, in fact, called them against Tiago Montero and Casper Ruud. No, uh, my answer to this at this time is no. It's the same exact backhand. He just had a really good match against Ruud. It was less good against Montero. So I, I think it's the same exact backhand and just had was hitting it well against Rude. Nothing more, nothing less. From VTech. I like men's tennis more, but it's been so refreshing to see women's tennis on tennis TV. Maybe it's just novelty bias, but it seems like ATP and WTA merging, or at least offering a joint viewing platform, can really help the popularity of the sport. In fact, I remember Federer and some women talking about a couple years ago. Back then, I didn't think it would be a good idea. So is this event a sort of test run for a unified tour? And can the unified tour actually happen? This is a test run. A hundred percent this is a test run. Because it is something that everybody wants in theory. But at the same time, I'm talking about a unified tour. People want it in theory, including Andrea Gaudenzi, the CEO of the ATP. He has been very adamant about wanting this. But that does not mean that it is feasible. That does not mean that it can be done in reality. That does not mean that the parties are going to be able to agree on everything that they need to agree on. Um, so yeah, it, it is a test run. They're working out kinks. There's no doubt about that. In terms of both of them being on tennis TV, yeah, a unified streaming platform would be a, a huge benefit to everybody. There's no doubt about that. The reality is there are some tennis fans who only want to watch men's tennis, some tennis fans that only want to watch women's tennis, and there is a 0% chance that those tennis fans will hop over the aisle, which I shouldn't use that term because it's very American politics. Uh, there is a very small chance that those tennis fans are going to be swayed and change their viewing habits, expand their viewing habits in the current state that tennis is presented and offered on streaming platforms. But if you put them on the same platform together, it is far, far more likely that tennis fans who only watch one or the other are going to be exposed and dip their toe and kind of are more open to, to watching both. And if, if fans don't want to watch both, that is also... Obviously, completely fine. In fact, I did see some people uh, complain about the United Cup and say that uh, they don't like it because they don't like watching women's tennis. It's very easy to just watch the men's matches. Very, very easy. So I don't really understand that complaint. All right. Um, comment about Cam Nori. It's kind of a long one. Yeah, I'll answer it. From Dean Wood, who is a member. Thank you. Not sure how much of the United Cup you've been able to watch, but I got to say Cam Nori is looking impressive. Not just the caliber of opponents he's beaten in Dimonor, Nadal, and Fritz, but the way he's done it. He is hitting with such precision and consistency without compromising on power. He looked more aggressive at times compared to a pre compared to previously, and it was working for him at those times. It is always hard to tell, but he looked like he was playing at a top five level. Do you think he will be able to carry the momentum through the season? 
Um, and basically, do you think the team support was a big booster for him? Well, on the team support, before I answer the first part, Tim Henman, oh my God. Uh, his vocal ways from the bench are, are far more... Um, they are far more intrusive than most coaches. So if that is going to have a positive effect, which let me be very, very clear. I think it does have a positive effect to have someone in your ear constantly. And this is literally ingrained in my head now. Like the, come on, Nas, come on, Nas. Here we go, Nas, Nas. Like that is ingrained in my head right now. Apologies if that was a really bad Tim Henman accent, but that's got to help. That's got to help to hear that every single point. It, it's got to help. Depending on personality. I'm sure for some, for some personalities, it maybe wouldn't be as good. Cam Nori comes from college tennis. He wants that rah-rah kind of fire up thing. So yes, that would help. But all in all, you know, poor Cam Nori is kind of my thought while watching this. Because I do this top 10 preview and... Look, there are too many guys who I think have a possibility to make the top 10 that I just don't have time to include. And I kind of read through the comment section. I saw a lot of Gil wears Borna Chorich. I saw some Gil where is Denis Shapovalov. I saw, I saw a couple where is Cam Nori, but not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. And I made a, a YouTube short where I said, let me give an honorable mention, honorable mention. An honorable, honorable mention to Chapo and Chorich. And still, Nori is left off. And it's not right. It's not right. For some reason, for some reason, he is kind of not fun to consider or talk about. Uh, but he just wins. He just wins, baby. Um yeah, the movement looks so, so good, but that is kind of par for the course with Nori. But in these two matches, man, can he can he run? Um, yeah, the forehand down the line, though, was kind of the big thing that stood out. That, that very ex excellent, excellent timing on the forehand down the line um, in those matches. And uh, it does feel like the, the serve just keeps getting inch by inch by inch better and better and better. Uh, which certainly has helped him. So what he's done here is he's pulled off a total 180. He started 2024 0-4. He lost. He looked terrible. Lost, 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 lost. And uh, now he started 3-0. Looking really, really good. Demonor, Nadal, Fritz. Um, and by the way, he did have COVID in 2022. And it's looking more and more... Like, uh, like that affected him, like that had long-term effects, which it has on multiple, multiple players have just not been the same coming out of COVID. All right. I am going to only answer questions that are super, super quick so that I can wrap this one up. Um, Brand say, I love Emma, but something needs to be done about her forehand technique. Uh, it has changed. She, she continues to tinker with it and adjust it. And uh, I don't think there's a, a huge, a huge problem, generally speaking, with her forehand technique. But uh, you know, a lot of people have looked at Emma's technique and blamed her getting injured on her technique. I think it's just that 
she is not or has not been to this point a professional level athlete, meaning physically she has not been where she needs to be. And this offseason, she said all the right things, and she has hired Jez Green, one of the great physical trainers in the history of our sport, and she has put down the racket and hit the gym. And to me, her legs look stronger, and her movement looks better, and she gets an A-plus for recognizing that that's what needed to be done. Screw the forehand technique. Screw the tennis. Screw the serve. Screw the backhand. Screw the volleys. I don't care. Just get in the gym and get stronger. Because nothing was going to get better for Emma Raducanu in her tennis career until that got better. From Niffin. Uh, Alcaraz not playing any tournaments prior to the Australian Open. Will this benefit him? Also, who is the biggest threat to Djokovic going forward? Well, he did this last year and it worked out pretty well. All in all, I just love the fact that Alcaraz values training blocks and rest periods. And uh, everyone who has the ability to do that, which is, by the way, not most of the tour, I believe everyone who has the ability to do that should do that and take advantage of that. Why does Felix seem to lack consistency on outdoor hard courts as opposed to his dominance on indoors? Is it his big serve? Uh, or is it something else? It's margins. It's the fact that he is a precision player on the serve and forehands and outdoors, the ball is not going to be in your strike zone as much. The timing is not going to be as easy to perfect. And it's going to be hard to execute low margin shots with the same consistency. You are going to miss more. And the forehand just does not respond as well to being outdoors, to being in the elements. It just it, it becomes a worse shot. All right. Um, man, there's some good ones I didn't get to. Maybe I'll leave a comment to, to the ones I didn't get to, and I will ask uh, them to comment again. Uh, but we are out of time. I don't want to go longer. Um, excited to kind of get going in this tennis season. We will start the Monday match analysis train next week, um, which obviously it's been a while. It has been not since the ATP finals have we gotten to break down a final in depth. So I'm really looking forward to that. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New 
new episodes of Fly on the Wallin drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin wherever you get your podcasts.